There we go. Matthew 25 once again. Verse number 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. Please notice that this is the kingdom of heaven. So this man traveling into the far country, we might say, is the king of the kingdom of heaven. And unto one of his servants he gave five talents, to another two, and to another just one, to every man according to his several ability. And straightway, immediately, he took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with them, with the same, and made them five other talents, other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the king and enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents besides them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Notice I have given you a few responsibilities. Just just a few. Then he that had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hadst not strawed I was afraid and I went and hid thy talent in the earth lo there thou hast that is thine I return the one talent his lord answered and said unto him thou wicked and slothful servant Thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the, the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with just a little bit of interest, usury. Take therefore the talent from him, give it unto him which hath the ten talents, ten talents, for unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance, but from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, where shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's use this parable as a parable, uh, an illustration. Let's make it a parable beyond the parable, if I can put it that way. I don't want to go into some of the places where this parable takes us. It's just not pertinent to our lesson. Let's say that among the talents given by the king was the gospel, among other things. Focusing on the third servant, we see him burying the gospel, 
rather than sharing it, rather than investing it. And when he is called to his master's judgment seat, when he's called to the Bema, how did he explain his disobedience? First, he pointed to the character of his Lord. Thou art a hard man. Verse 24. He might have said, I didn't want to make a mistake under your harsh glare. Therefore, I didn't do anything. I thought you'd punish me if I lost your talent. So I saved it for you. Here it is. You can have it back. I buried it in the ground. Being so concerned with the doctrinal details of salvation by grace, he didn't invest it. He was afraid that he couldn't explain the doctrine of justification. He couldn't explain the doctrine of imputation. So he didn't say anything about simple forgiveness of sin by the grace of God. Or to protect himself from giving the gospel to some non-elect person, he didn't give it to anybody. Don't want to make any mistakes here. Was it the nature of his employer to, that kept him from his duty? Was it the fact that God is God that kept the servant from doing what he was supposed to do? No. This was nothing but an excuse. You're a hard man. In verse 25, he expressed the true reason for his disobedience, but he didn't expand on it. He said, I was afraid. Afraid of what? Well, according to the context, he was afraid of his employer. He was afraid of the man who blessed him by putting a roof over his house, giving him uh, two or three meals a day, who protected him from his enemies, who gave him responsibilities to carry out, made his life worthwhile. He's afraid of his employer, he says. That he had a master was a blessing. And what the master had given him in his grace, that caused him to fear. I don't think it was really all about his fear of the employer. He may have said that, but that's not it. Of what was he really afraid? Well, since this is an undeveloped parable, at least as far as we're concerned, we can just develop it as we see fit. There wasn't anything illegal about investing this talent, was there? Uh, if you've got a thousand dollars and you want to give it to uh, uh, Edward Jones, there's nothing illegal about that. Go ahead and do it. There was uh, nothing illegal about it, so there was no threat, no fear of prosecution. But there might have been fear of persecution. He could have been afraid of the people or the businesses with whom he might have invested his talent. 
What if, knowing that I have a talent, someone tries to mug me, someone kills me in order to possess that talent? His imagination is running away. The, 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 the guy with the five talents wasn't worried about that. The guy with the two or three talents, he wasn't worried about that. But this guy, oh, what if I lose it somehow and it's stolen? What if I am injured in this? Or he may have been afraid of the shame of failure. What will my master say if I lose it somehow? This takes the focus from the fear of his hard master and really puts it on himself. He's thinking about him. He's thinking about himself. If this was the case, then the man was motivated by pride and concerned about uh, damaging his pride. Maybe that's it. If this was the case, then he's afraid of suffering a little shame. And I know for a fact that shame can be a painful thing. He could be afraid of being ashamed. Was that really the man's problem? Or was it something else? Multitudes of Christians have never brought a soul to the cross. And sadder still is the fact that most have never even tried. Most professing Christians have never simply said, along with the, the woman of Samaria, come see a man which told me all things ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Most Christians have never joined Andrew as he went to his brother Simon saying, We have found the Messiah. Come with me to Jesus. Why do you suppose that is? It's not because those people are not truly saved. I'm not suggesting that at all. I'm talking about genuine Christians. It's not because they have not been given this talent from the Lord, this gift, this grace. It's not because their master hasn't commissioned them to go out and make this investment. It's not because they're hermits, living off the grid, having no neighbors in whom to invest their talent. It's not because they're not indwelt by the Holy Spirit, with their own soul and salvation sealed by him and empowering their service. It's because their imaginations have created some inward fear to making this investment, taking this talent out and using it. It's because they have become anxious about investing. Mm. Believe me, I'm not looking down my very long nose at anybody. Uh, I have been as guilty of this as anyone else many times during my life. Furthermore, we see examples of it in the Word of God, which is perhaps more important than my negative example. The Bible describes people who became anxious when the Lord commissioned them to do this work of evangelism. God told Moses to share his talent 
the talent that he had given to him with his kinsmen and with the uh, Egyptians, Pharaoh in particular. And the man immediately, immediately started stuttering and stammering, metaphorically and literally. Abraham, out of fear, attempted to hide his talent from Abimelech and from another Egyptian pharaoh. That proved to be a total disaster in Abraham's life. Later, the Lord went to Jeremiah. He tried to bury the talent, but it burned a hole in his pocket, shall we say. Then Jeremiah said, I will not make mention of Jehovah, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in mine heart as a burning fire and shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. I could not keep my mouth shut. Jeremiah 20 and verse number 9. Jonah expressed a stupid doctrinal reason to bury his talent. Oh, I knew you were going to be gracious anyway. So what do you need me for? He sounds very much like those hyper-Calvinists who say, God will say, save whomsoever he will. So it's, uh, I don't need to be involved in that. Peter tried to hide his talent. The Lord said, you get down there and give Cornelius the talent that I've given to you. I'm getting a little off track. So let's return to the subject of anxiety when it comes to evangelism. The man in the Lord's parable, and certainly Moses, hid their talents out of fear, or if you like, anxiety. Anxiety might be defined as uneasiness in regard to doing something, or in regard to something. In this case, we're talking about personal evangelism. The word comes to us out of Latin, not Greek. We can't find it in the word of God in this way. And the Latin word, original word, speaks of tightness, pressed tightly. Webster's 1828 dictionary adds that it is a lack of peace of mind and even a painful uneasiness. And I can understand that. I can understand that. Countless thousands of Christians become anxious whenever they think about sharing the gospel with others. And it can even become a painful anxiety. They get nervous. They get tense. They begin to sweat. Their palms get sticky. They might begin to tremble. Their brain might refuse to focus. What am I going to say to that person? I can't think of anything. Their heart rate may increase. They may even hyperventilate to the point of panic. I am not exaggerating. Why is that? Again, I'm not trying to be unkind because I know what it is to hyperventilate. <laughs> in front of six or eight people. I'll get to the real reason for this anxiety in a minute, but some of the peripheral causes include past failures. 
Go to Exodus chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. You can start with 2. Moses, like Jonah, had been sailing to Tarshish. And there he is in the midst of uh, the Mediterranean for 40 years trying to get away from his responsibility back in Egypt. He, at one point, 40 years earlier, had attempted to do the work of the Lord. But he was doing it in the flesh and without the Lord's direction at that particular moment, and he fell flat on his face. And he ran. He knew that the Lord had called him to become the means of salvation for the people of Israel. In a sense, beginning at the time of his childhood, he understood his calling and that the Lord had given him a particular talent. But the first time he tried to share it with one of his neighbors... The man said, who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Chapter 2 and verse number 14. That sounds very similar to, who are you to tell me that I'm a sinner? Who are you to tell me that I need a savior? I am as every bit as good as you are. I see a parallel there. Well, in the next verse, we see Moses fleeing from his calling, fleeing from his responsibility into the Midian wilderness. At that point, he had not learned that God's work will be carried out successfully only when God is the, the catalyst and the, the means to get it done. Moses passed failure filled him with anxiety when it came time to resume his calling. So when the Lord came to him after 40 years in the wilderness and said, let's go, he froze. Oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. I assume that early in his life, after being raised in Pharaoh's house, Moses might have had some fleshly self-confidence but having fled into the land of Midian, meeting Jethro, marrying his daughter, spending the next 40 years living among the sheep, he had become somewhat sheepish himself. At that point in his life, he had become timid. So when God put the talent that he had earlier fumbled back into his hand, Moses essentially told the Lord, I don't have the temperament of a soul winner. I'm not an outgoing person. I am not a salesman. I don't have the aptitude to do the work which you're calling me to do. I can't look at my former neighbors in the eye and tell them that they're lost and they need a savior. I'm a failure, Lord. Why do you want to use a failure? You know, that's essentially what he did with Jonah. I know you're a failure, and I'm not giving up on you. You've got a work to do. Perhaps there was some anxiety coming from the depths of Moses' timid soul. He's described as the meekest of all men. 
It made him hide his talent. I would venture to guess that among many, this is this timidity is the primary reason why most Christians aren't out there the way they should, the way they should be. Another reason might be attributed to inexperience, a lack of training for the work. Come on. Obviously, we, everything we ever do was at some point at the beginning. There's always a first time. There has to be a first time. I cannot remember the first time I tried to share my faith. It was probably with my friend uh, Larry Bond, but I'm not sure about that. I can remember, clearly remember, the first time I stood before a congregation and tried to preach the gospel. Let's just say it was very short and not very sweet. And the next time, there was an added anxiety to the anxiety that I had the first time. I wonder why. It's just the way things are. Moses, still trying to find an excuse for hiding his talent, pointed to his lack of evangelistic skills. Oh, a guy who does that has to speak well. A guy who, has, who does that sort of thing has to uh, be bold enough to walk into Pharaoh's uh, throne room. So the Lord gave Moses a little illustration and instruction. Chapter 4, verse number 2. Let me instruct you. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? Oh, he said, This is my, this is my staff. This is my walking stick. It's a rod. And God said, Cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said to Moses, Put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. This doesn't. The scripture doesn't express the uh, trepidation. Moses is a little more fearful of snakes than Rachel is. But eventually he put forth his hand and caught it, and lo, it became a rod again. That they might believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. Let me just show you what you can do. Let me just show you the power that uh, is behind you in doing this work. Every Christian, if he truly is a Christian, already has a rod in his hand, already possesses that talent, already has basic knowledge to lead someone like himself to the Savior. And sometimes the Lord has to point to what we already know and simply say, grab it by the tail. Yes, there are other things we might learn about investing, but we have the rudimentary principles already in hand. Moses said to the Lord in verse number one, Behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. Part of Moses' anxiety was a fear of failure, and I can understand that. Nobody wants to be a failure. 
especially if they have pushed through their anxiety once or twice and they're doing it for a third time. They don't want to be a failure. Here's where some of my illustration falls apart. The servant in Matthew 25, going back to where we started, might have invested and lost his master's talent. It's a possibility. It's gone. A bundle of cash. But I have a sneaking suspicion that if that had been the case, his master would not have been as upset with him at the loss of that single talent than he was at not doing anything with the talent. But our situation is somewhat different. You and Moses and me, we have not been given a physical talent which might be stolen or lost through mismanagement. We have been given something intangible, something spiritual. Our commodity, our talent is the gospel. It is a simple statement of the grace of God. It is verbal and it is eternal. You might feel led of the Lord to give someone a copy of the Bible as a part of your witness to him. And you may be taking out your trash three days later and you glance over at your neighbor's trash can and there is your Bible at the top of uh, his trash. He may actually be saying something to you. I have had that happen. And it hurts. It stings a little bit. That Bible cost you uh, five trips to Starbucks. It cost you something. And he just threw it in the trash. But Moses' responsibility and our commission is simply to call people out of slavery. It's simply to say, come with me to Jesus. The only commodity we are investing are words. And whether anyone listens or responds, we haven't lost anything. No matter how many times we share this talent, we still have as much as we had to begin with and most likely gaining a little interest along the way. So share those words and let the Holy Spirit empower them. There they are. We're not living in the 16th century where the Catholics and the Protestants might arrest us for sharing the gospel. We have no reason to be anxious for our physical lives. But we might be anxious about losing that friend to whom we're trying to witness. We might be anxious about that uh, relative that we're trying to speak to about Christ because they are relative and they will be a relative until we both die and there's nothing we can do about that. But we may distance that relative from us. I fear that I'll never be able to speak to my cousin again. Or we might be afraid that by sharing the gospel with our neighbor, we might create an enemy 15 feet away over the picket fence that's between our properties. 
And then there is the possibility of alienating our employer or the people that we work with. There could be some real damage. Believe me, I'm not minimizing or discounting the possibility or even the cause for your anxiety. But I will point out what our Lord has said. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Matthew 10.33 And everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. Matthew 19.29 If we lose a friend or a loved one in the process of our service, that loss becomes a part of our own personal investment. The Lord blesses us for what we have lost because we have done it in the Lord's name. How can we get over our soul-winning anxiety? I wish there was some magic dust that I could sprinkle over myself, (laughs) over you. By walking beside Moses into Pharaoh's palace, stating our testimony, and walking out again without success. How do we deal with our anxiety? Failure. (laughs) That doesn't sound like a very positive situation. Maybe not, but it is biblical. How many times did Moses walk up those uh, fancy steps into the palace of Pharaoh to say, let my people go, and he said, no. It wasn't once, it wasn't twice, it was several times. And he kept going back. How often did he have to tell Israel that he was God's representative before them, before they started to listen? Maybe there's one or two each time that he said that sort of thing. After each one of the uh, plagues, maybe there was another one or two that started to recognize Moses' position. With each presentation, there was just a little bit more. How do we get over our anxiety? By experience. Whether there's any victory in the experience or not. Just doing it. I won't go into it right now. But I believe the Lord is as interested or more interested in us as his servants as he is the people to whom we are witnessing. Mm. I've been spending a lot of time thinking about and reading about Jonah. I think the Lord was as interested in Jonah as he was the people of Nineveh. The Lord could have gotten another servant to go preach after Jonah ran away. Mm. No, no, Jonah, I'm interested in you. The Lord is interested in us. Even though we are our failures, we have to remember that victory is not a part of our arsenal. Victory is in the hands of the Lord. The prophet is as much God's as the talent that he has given us to invest. Again, how many times does a a baby have to fall down before he learns how to walk? The Lord has put 
a desire in that baby's heart to walk. And I'm going to hit my head, and I'm going to flatten my bottom, and I'm going to squish my diaper, and I'm going to do it until I learn how to walk. How do we get rid of our soul-winning anxiety? First, by casting aside each and every one of the excuses that we have been using to keep us from our obedience. The slothful, slothful man saith, there's a lion in the way, there's a lion in the streets, Proverbs twenty-six thirteen. No, there is not. Your imagination says there's a lion in the street. Moses said, Oh my Lord, I, can, I am not eloquent, neither hitherto nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Who maketh the dumb or the deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Don't throw that excuse at me. Gideon said, Oh my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee. Your pedigree, whether secular or religious, is nothing to me. That investment company is not interested in anything about you. They're interested in that $1,000 you might invest. That's all they care about. Jeremiah said, Behold, I cannot speak, for I'm a child. Jeremiah 1.7 But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, don't be anxious, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. The Lord essentially told Jeremiah to throw aside his anxiety. I'm not going to pretend that this is an easy thing for everyone. It isn't. But something else in the Lord's replies to each one of these people might be summarized with the idea, look into my face. Forget about that face. Look at me. Reach into my toolkit. I will bless you. Paul told the Philippians, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Implying, so can you. You can share the gospel with others. Simply inviting eternal souls to the Savior. Paul told the Corinthians, we are not sufficient in ourselves. But our sufficiency is of God, who also maketh us able ministers of the New Testament. Our strength may, in part, be linked to our lack of strength. As the Lord told Paul, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. It's all right to be anxious if you're going into battle. Sure. But remember, the battle is the Lord's, and he'll have the victory as he sees fit. Cast all your care and anxiety upon him, for he careth for you. As much as he cares for the commodity you're carrying, as much as he cares for the one that you're investing it in. 
Anxiety ultimately is a product of the flesh. This is a silly question. Do angels have nervous systems? Does a spirit body have nerves? Do the angels of God ever get a case of the nerves? We are supposed to be more spiritual. The more spiritual we are, the less nerves we have. Eh. By way of illustration. Our ability to serve God rests directly to how closely we draw nigh to the Lord. Most Christians live with the wrong goals for their lives. When we should be seeking the Lord's glory in everything, we fall short of that, looking at our pride or our whatever. Our fear should not be whether we are successful in winning that person to Christ. Our fear should be whether or not we are willing to please the Lord and taking our five talents or two talents or one talent and investing it properly. There should be no fear when we are, are doing our best to make our investments in the Lord's name. Please stand. <laughs>